Before we begin, please refer to the disclaimers in the link on the podcast notes and note that none of the information provided during this update constitutes investment advice or a recommendation, solicitation, or offer by Galaxy Digital or its affiliates to buy or sell any securities. Welcome to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. As always, I'm your host, Alex Thorne, head of firmwide research at Galaxy Digital. Um, I'm joined by my friend, Christine Kim. How are you doing, Christine? Doing pretty well. Alex, your voice sounds so raspy this episode. I know. I've been uh, like, I've been at home. I was first week back in the office this week. Um, I think I've like underestimated how much you talk to people when you're in the office. I don't know. I'm losing this voice. It's awful because the voice is my superpower. It is a pretty good voice. <laughs> Everyone wants some FaceTime with Alex now that he's back in the office. We got Bimnet Abibi here, uh, our Thanks friend. Thanks for having me. Good to see you, man. Um, great to be here in person with you guys. I've been on Zoom uh, or whatever the last couple recordings. Um, it's Merge Day. It's Wednesday, uh, September 14th as we record this. And the merge is expected in about 12 hours. Yes, it is. It's going to happen around 1 a.m. On Thursday. On Thursday. September 15th. That's the current expectation. But so tonight. Tonight. Um, can't can it be earlier? Like I know. Can't the devs like do something? p.m. Eastern time. That's yeah, not like up to the devs. Monday it's night up football to the time. miners. Can't the devs do something? The miners can do something Can't the miners do this. something? They can start spinning up more machines and allow the merge to happen at a decent hour. Yeah. Like say 10 p.m., 9 p.m. Um, yeah, like I, you know, I think just for the, you know, do you think that's a good trade buying some ETH, ETH hash ASICs right now <laughs> <laughs> to save me a couple it. hours of sleep? Yeah. Yes. Um, Christine's been everywhere talking about the merge. Um, so you'll see a lot more, uh, our listeners will hear a lot more and see a lot more of Christine over the coming, uh, days and weeks. Um, so you've been doing a great job covering it. Thank you, Alex. It's been merge all day, every day for the past. <laughs> Christine's like wearing two a T-shirt weeks. that says the merge on it, um, and uh, yeah, it's been awesome. Everyone can check out all of our content on the merge um, at gal- uh, research.galaxy.com/merge, um, and uh, it's I don't know. There's a lot. It's gonna be. It's it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Bloomberg called uh, Ethereum in an article I read earlier. Uh, crypto's most commercially important network. I hadn't heard that um, superlative before, but it's an interesting thing to say. Oh, and I believe the wordle of today is merge. Oh, you can't. You oh, can't give it. Oh, no, we can't. Oh, you can't. It's good. It's, it's good. a couple of days away. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah, we, we can give it away because this doesn't come out till Friday. Wow. You know, it's a big faux pas giving Wait, away the wordle. Do they do that you're now? So do right. they do like words based on the day? And I don't like, know. They, not, or is this just like people thought there was a conspiracy? I saw it on Twitter as a screenshot, and I was so shocked because I do love doing the wordles. I don't yeah. do it religiously, as some people. I don't. Eat, I, I don't do it religiously, but it is. It, it's a solid game. You know, you should check out. Um, there's a crazy one that one of our um, mm-hmm. salespeople showed me called Samantle. You literally just have to guess the word and it oh. tells you how close you are and just like literally any word it could be. Wow. And it just, it's, it's crazy. I, I've only solved it like twice and it takes like hundreds of guesses to get there. It's pretty, it's pretty fun though. Um, yeah. Samantle. This is like hashing. Yeah, you have it to is. take hundreds of I have guesses. to say there is wordle etiquette though. And yeah. like, you know what, it, you have to not disclose what the wordle is to people around. I know. You, you know, I know. Just Luckily just, this is delayed cause you're not going to be yeah. listening to this until Friday. So, um, it's like it's like Game of Thrones etiquette. You yeah, 
Well, you know, Game of Thrones etiquette should be not ruining the last two seasons of that show with <laughs> literally the worst writing that I've ever heard in my life. Um, I'm just saying, like, you know, you spend the whole series, they're telling you that the White Walkers are going to are an existential risk for the entire Earth, and they don't even make it past the North. Oh, they literally don't even. Oh, big deal. And every time, <laughs> this is like commenting on shows from like two and a half years ago, every time that anyone comes up to a White Walker, they successfully kill it. Every single time. Sam, that that, that one guy, the, the maester, uh, yes. uh, he killed one. Yeah, I can't even like. By, it was like I mean, it fell on him or something Jon like Snow that. Killed one. Yeah, it wasn't like an actor. It's it's yeah. ridiculous. Anyway, um, the Game of Thrones is not your happy place, Alex. I know. I do like that. Um, the new show is pretty good. House of the Dragon is it's solid. Um, all right, let's get into some crypto news. We've just been bantering about things like Game of Thrones. Um, appreciate the uh, leeway here, uh, audience. Um, so uh, honestly, a lot of stuff going on in general. Um, we're going to talk markets with Bimnet in a second too. Um, but let's go through some crypto stuff first before we talk about the absolute nuke town that all markets saw yesterday on Tuesday. Um, so uh, this is kind of interesting. The Treasury Department, right, which uh, OFAC is part of the Treasury Department, they released a, like an FAQ kind of on how uh, if you are an American, um, you can legally recover your uh, funds from Tornado Cash. To be clear, you can already just withdraw them per normal um, because Tornado Cash continues to function perfectly. <laughs> um, but the, you have to apply for a license from OFAC. If you had deposits in Tornado Cash pools prior to August 8th, I think, which is when they actually did the sanctions, um, you can withdraw your stuff legally if you apply for a license from OFAC. How many people are going to do, be doing this? I mean, you got to send a form to OFAC. Disclose all of your account information and what you were doing. Yeah, they asked for a lot of info. Just so that you can use an application you can already use permissionlessly. Yes. Yeah, they want you to ask for permission to use the permissionless app. I mean, this is ridiculous. It it is kind of ridiculous to think about. On the other hand, it is, I think, totally standard. If you are a covered entity, so an American, um, and you want to interact with a sanctioned. individual or entity you you need a license from OFAC that's how it currently works yeah um so but you know I I thought it was positive you know it showed some crypto IQ that they Absolutely. at least addressed I mean, they, it they even recognized like what what are those attacks called when somebody yeah, does that, that they was even acknowledged that they so um yeah, I think did. it shows a level of nuance yes, that wasn't they, there before although it was kind of weird what they said that the text around the dust attack so so for the audience right a dust attack in general is just sending somebody and there's reasons you might do this as an attacker, but sending somebody very tiny amounts of crypto. Um, Cause recall that like cryptocurrency um, systems, public blockchains are what we call push systems, not pull systems. Right? So when you go and spend money um, on your credit card the, um, or, or the, or the, or using a debit card, right? The merchant can literally suck the money out of your account, right? Without, I mean, they're doing it with your permission, but they technically don't need your permission to do it, like technologically speaking. Whereas in crypto, you can't just take money out of my account or my Bitcoin wallet. Um, I have to send it to you. Um, that's good for some things. It's bad for other things. People have been, for example, like subscription services, really hard to actually build in crypto because you have to authorize and sign every transaction. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? So yep. it's not really that easy. But I, I think this makes a lot of sense, though, overall. Um, 
tornado cash. Them coming out and saying, oh, dust attacks, right? So the dust, um, people were dusting people out of tornado cash, I guess, for fun. Someone that had money in tornado cash was sending dust to, like, I, I'm making these up, but, like, you know, SnoopDog.eth or yeah, whatever. Taylor Swift. Taylor, or yeah, exactly. Whoever it is, yeah. So the idea being that you would have tainted their account now, right? Yep. That now when they go and try to interact with, like, a regulated exchange, that exchange's, like, compliance department would be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They have post-sanctioned tornado cash transactions. Yeah, or, or like, a, a DeFi protocol. Right. Um, you know, DeFi front ends. And, yeah, front ends. Yeah. Um, they, and, and to be clear, like, those people that were dusted probably do have those problems, right? Because yeah, absolutely. you're just hoping that, like, Chainalysis or Elliptic or those companies are, like, able to differentiate so that you're not bricked from, like, trading on Coinbase or whatever. Um, but OFAC interestingly said we're aware of the dust attacks um we're not prioritizing that yeah. um as, and a, a lot as an of the OFAC stuff is like about intent as well it is. um and so you know i think it they're doing the best they can you know at the end of the day like when you're the u.s government you have a responsibility to uh, make sure that dollars don't flow to sanctioned individuals, to, you know, criminals, whoever it may be. And, and they're just doing their job. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see um, how this plays out further. They clearly put this notice out because of public reaction. And, and yeah. I thought that that was what was positive. I think that they're trying to interact and, and address some of these concerns. You know, there, there's a lawsuit that's being filed right against OFAC. I don't know if that's the... Yeah, I, I think Coinbase is Coinbase part is of, supporting part of, it, and uh, I think two of their employees yeah. are plaintiffs, um, which is interesting. Um, I think the argument is that OFAC has the statutory capability of sanctioning individuals or entities, and that um, is are these autonomous, decentralized smart contracts an individual or an entity? Um, you know, yeah. without being a lawyer, and I am not one, um, so I don't really know how likely this is to succeed or how legitimate legal cases um just on face value it seems like a legitimate question like yeah. doesn't really feel like congress had decentralized autonomous smart contracts in mind when they wrote this <laughs> i i you know uh, definitely not. i don't know <laughs> uh well but, to be clear i don't think they existed when they wrote it so <laughs> there you go but generally speaking i mean I, I think uh one of the things that sticks out to me is just like okay here is the government stepping in and the crypto community reacting right and like the past couple instances you know when this has happened um, it's been, you know, relatively sort of eye-opening, right? Like crypto spending a lot of money lobbying in, in D.C. They are making efforts, you know, talking to politicians across, you know, Republicans, Democrats, whatever it may be. And it just shows that the industry is really sort of represented well right now. I mean, yeah, I agree. I think the the, the response shows that, right? That yeah. They're not just like, oh, we did it, we dropped it, and now we're going away forever, right? They, they clarified. I mean, yep. I agree. I don't, Christine, your point was like, you know, do you think a lot of people are going to do this? I, I don't know. And it's not really regulatory clarity about the issue that everybody was up in arms about. That the, core the, issue. Yeah, the core issue of what does this mean for staking providers? Yes. What does this mean for mining pools? That's yeah. a big elephant in the room that remains unanswered. Yeah. The lawsuit that Coinbase and other people have already brought forth, that's still a major question. I think their commentary around even dusting attacks does still make people question, is this is this is this a policy that can even be enforced? Right. Like if all these if all these accounts have all touched the tornado cash address, how are you able to track this? Like how are you able to enforce this? Yeah. Um, so I think there's still many questions that uh, remains to be answered. Yeah. I mean there, there's tons of laws on the books in the US and the vast majority of, of laws. them don't go, you know, a enforced. lot of laws. Um, not to obviously full disclosure, everybody should 
follow every rule. <laughs> um, don't want to say you shouldn't. Of course. Ben yeah. follows none of them. No. Well, uh, come <laughs> on, guys. Crazy. No, come that's on. not true. Law-abiding uh, right, citizens. Let, let's move on. Um, the Linux found... Wait. So the Linux Foundation, um, you know, behind the ubiquitous operating system that powers almost everything we use. Um, you mean Amazon Web Services? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, they are... What are they doing? They're launching a crypto wallet or a foundation to build a wallet. What is it exactly? I think they're trying to support the crypto ecosystem by creating a foundation that's um, able to support um, the development of different open source wallets. It's apparently supported by big names like Accenture, Okta, CVS Health. CVS we got to get healthcare on the blockchain. I, I mean, guess so, easy. yeah. I don't These know. actually are a very weird it's, it's strange. hodgepodge. I mean, you've got, you've got a consultant. Okta's what, like a, a 2FA and like cybersecurity company. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what Ping Identity is or oh, the Open ID Foundation, but um, yeah, they're going to try to build an interoperable digital wallet, it sounds like. That's interesting. I mean, you know, Linux is the, yeah. the king no, of I open mean, source. I mean, there, there's lots of efforts on the wallet front right now, so yeah. I wish them Good luck. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, Polygon, uh, the uh, Ethereum ecosystem scaling company foundation. I don't know what they are exactly. The builder of. I mean, they have a side chain. They have rollups. They have a whole bunch of random stuff. They are partnering with Starbucks um, to launch like a reward program and NFT digital collectible thing. It's a major uh, partnership. Yeah. They have a lot of big, big win for Polygon. Uh, uh, do they also do the um, Reddit thing? Is that that? They do. Yes. They yeah. support uh, NFTs uh, on, on Reddit. On Reddit. Yeah. And, uh, they've been announcing a, a bunch of deals. Uh, yeah, they're really the good at uh, the partnership uh, Absolutely. thing. So, um, yeah, I mean. They had one, I think, with the EPL uh, yeah. for their um, uh, like NFT rights. Um, but, yeah, their business development team has been That's very active. League? I think so. Interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're really good at this. Um, they also have like, it's almost like the spaghetti on the wall approach. They've got a side chain. They got multiple roll-ups. Yeah. Um, they've got an, uh, we talked about the enterprise permissioned blockchain that they're building um, with. That's, that's like a permission subnet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, no, but their, their approach has been sort of like, we're going to figure out scaling um, in every single possible way possible. Right. Right. And they're just not spaghetti on the wall. It's more like we're going to get experts at ZK rollup, side chains, whatever it may be. We're going to try to, you know, see what solution works best, but we're going to make an effort in each one of these yep. categories. Right. That's interesting. Um, they definitely matter. Um, Polygon widely used um, by a lot of people. And one thing to watch out for even later this year is Polygon's launch of their ZK EVM. It's another roll-up solution. They had bought a bunch of ZK teams. Yeah, um, ZK Hermes. Yes, like, like Maiden, yep. um, a couple others. And they're finally ready to unveil a, a very scalable, efficient solution for scaling Ethereum on the Layer 2 side. And I think that's going to be in competition with some of the other ZK EVM solutions out there. Christine's got a good uh, piece coming out soon on ZK EVM. So um, if you're not familiar with it, that's okay. Um, Might need to get a few more IQ points before then, but yeah, you know. I know. The math is, it's there's a lot of math. Um, all right. A couple other items before we do markets with BIMnet real quick. Um, Bitcoin difficulty, mining difficulty, all-time high. All-time high. In a bear market, this has never happened before, by the way, um, in the history of Bitcoin. Um, 
that means miners are really, really hurting. And and I think we talked about this with Brandon Bailey on the podcast. Was last that last week? week? Yep. Yeah. How and why miners are hurting. Um, but, you know, we, this is really because all these next, next-gen machines have been rolling in. And even if you're not profitable, you know, you can plug them in and still recoup some cost. And Absolutely. so you, you've got some um, really, really powerful machines that have come out now. I mean, the machines are probably twice as efficient as they were just two or three years ago. Um, which is really interesting, by the way. People thought that there would be a plateau um, and that machines would become commoditized, but that hasn't happened yet. Um, I mean, we're talking like, I think... Moore's Law, right? So that's what yeah, ever... I know, but like, but the problem is like the chip size like can mm. only get so small, you know? Yeah, like at some point, it's like... Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and then along the same lines, this happened, I think, on Thursday or Friday after we had recorded last week's podcast. Um, would have been great if it had happened before. We could have talked about this with Brandon, but we'll bring... Brandon Bailey back from our mining team at some point, but the white house um, released a paper on uh, the energy uh, climate impact of cryptocurrencies. I forget the exact title, something like that. And um, really focusing on proof of work um, and, and makes a pretty bearish uh, take ultimately on proof of work uh, from their perspective, um, which they claim adds tons of carbon to the atmosphere. And, and I don't have the numbers in front of me. A lot of that report relies on, um, information from Digi Economist. Um, uh, the, I forget the guy's first name, but De, DeVries, DeVries is his last name, um, who's sort of a hobbyist in this space. I believe he is uh, a full-time employee of a central bank in Europe also. Um, a lot of his data has been debunked and, and just at the, um, at the core of it, right? Bitcoin mining machines don't emit smoke. Right. They do not add carbon to the atmosphere. Right. They use electricity and how much climate impact their electricity use has is dependent on many factors, including what type of electricity they're using. What is the source of the electricity, which, of course, the report doesn't go into. Um, so, I, you know, and by the way, lots of things use electricity. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So it comes down, I think, this this whole debate on proof of work's energy footprint really comes down to whether or not you think Bitcoin is valuable or not. Um, you know, if you don't like Bitcoin, you're not going to like its energy usage. And this wasn't the only paper we had expected out of the White House this week, right? No, and, and we didn't get them, though. They were technically due. For, this is all the result of President Biden's executive order um, from many months ago uh, where he directed um, – federal departments and agencies to produce a bunch of reports collectively on on a whole bunch of different things. Um, And I believe September 5th was the due date for a lot of them, um, like the last big chunk of them. Um, But we've only so far gotten this one out of that drop. Um, So it it does have some positive things. I will say there's a section in there about how um, energy producers and Bitcoin miners are, you know, capturing stranded energy like flare gas and, and stuff to mine, which has a, carbon negative uh impact um but overall it was it wasn't a great report it says that if the energy usage of proof of work cannot be mitigated Hmm. then perhaps congress should consider legislating um which is of course um very very bad for for miners in america if that were to happen it's not likely though you know i I have a little bit more of a, a cynical view about this stuff um you know like there's a lot of posturing in and around, you know, the election that that's coming up. Um, and, you know, there's lots of things that governments do that don't really make sense. Like, oh, I'm trying to fight inflation. Let me just give checks to, to people. Right. Like right. there's a lot of things that 
that happened because of you know the the political economy and like the the sort of you know inherent like self-interest that a lot of these these politicians have and so you know i don't i don't think you're supposed to read that much into a random white house report um i don't think very many people read the white house reports um and i don't think that there's enough consensus in congress to get you know anything meaningful through with bipartisan support but um as always you know you can just throw it on some random package and then it gets voted on and you have to pass it if you want to feed the kids yeah and then that's what they did right with the um with the um broker rule or whatever from last summer exactly so you have to pay attention to sort of what elements are out there right um but high level, you know, as as if, if you're on the far left, you have to support basically everything that is like, um, you know, clean energy or, you know, helps the environment. Um, and so it's it puts a lot of people in a tough spot because what are you going to do when your constituent asks you, like, what have you done to help the environment? I saw on your record you were pro, you know, Bitcoin mining. Bitcoin mining adds, you know, this much carbon to the environment per year. It's just a, a tough thing to, yeah, to face. Yeah, I mean, to be clear, the electricity is already being produced, right? Yes. So yes. it's not really the – there's a lot of nuance to this argument, I think, and um, it's tough to tell this story. I mean, that's true, I, and, and I, I, especially when you look at it with, like, ETH moving to proof of stake, which and and think about it uses in, almost in the no context of, of of Europe, right? You have Western Europe rationing electricity for yeah. people. You're talking about rolling blackouts, people not having heat during a, yeah. a really cold winter potentially, and yet people are over here, you know, mining digital magic internet money. Yeah. Right, using the electricity that people need abroad. So the optics don't look great. It's pretty interesting though. And like you can't really transport electricity. This is something people don't know. Um, if unless you look into it, it's unbelievably difficult to transport electricity. In fact, I think, um, and we wrote about this in a report yeah. literally la- a whole year ago mm-hmm. um, on Bitcoin's energy consumption. But um, I think Bitcoin uses less energy than is literally lost in transmission. Um, something like eighty percent, only like eighty percent of electricity actually gets to the grid. Um, because totally it, fair it, enough. Yeah. I, I just, uh, you know, I, I love Bitcoin. I, I think mean, it's a great store of value, but just put it frankly, like I am POS all the way. Like if you can reduce the amount of electricity in a world that, you know, and the amount of carbon emissions, whatever it may be, you know, why not? Well, like you I had mean, China ban Bitcoin, right? Mining. A lot of the reason was because they went through a whole like clean energy sort of focus, right? They clamped down on like all these like, you know, heavy carbon producing like uh, industrial processes, mining and other yep. things. And there's part of that effort that they, you know, shut down yeah, it's you know, gonna Bitcoin be, mining. And it's, so there's a, a rationale. No, I mean, look, this is going to be a long term um, yeah. Debate. Honestly, Absolutely. I think I don't want to. Um, we're not going to do the whole proof of work versus no, proof of stake no, no. thing yeah, now. Why but, not, but, Alex? Let's um, get it. No, I'm just. <laughs> I, I, I'd love that's, to that's, get that's, it. We're going to have to do an entire <laughs> episode day, on that. We, we, like at the same time, I just want to briefly acknowledge you've had some very big good things happen for Bitcoin, and I think they'll help with the sort of political stuff. BlackRock getting involved recently, right? Fidelity, you know, with the the recent announcement. You have sort of the financial complex of, of the U.S. sort of putting its support behind Bitcoin, and less so ETH, just because of the weird—is uh, it a security or not? Regulatory dynamics, and you know, it's happening. But yeah, yeah, it, it's happening. And so, like, I do think that there's probably an easier path for like greater Bitcoin adoption right now, uh, even with the Interesting. the proof of work stuff happening. All right, let's yeah. wrap this but, part up and let's just continue with BIMnet on markets because yesterday. Absolutely. Uh, Tuesday, 
um, I always laugh at this. I know why, and we're going to tell us why, but I think what month over month inflation came in higher than expected, higher than expected 0.1% um, instead of negative 0.1%. Absolutely. Um, and I just laugh because those numbers are so tiny <laughs> and that it caused like I, an I absolute think- risk off nuke nuking of all markets. I mean, S and P was down more than 5% on yeah. Tuesday. Uh, I think that was its biggest drop in two years, more than two years. Absolutely. What, what's uh, it look like, Pam? Doesn't look good. Doesn't look good. Um, so the first, we'll start with the inflation report. It was incredibly bad. It basically, in almost every single category, um, including the ones that the Fed cares about the most, uh, which are um, sort of owner's equivalent rent, which is a measure of you know basically housing costs. It is a little bit backward looking, but that was a very firm and, and sticky component. And the components that the uh, sort of forecasters expected to be a little softer also came in firmer, right? Like you know rental cars and you know apparel that people were like, holy shit, like that stuff should drop because we see inventories are, are picking up and you know used car prices dropped last month. And so there is a, a lot of things in this report, but there's basically nothing in this report that somebody could latch on to to be like inflation's going the right way right right and given the fed's mandate of price stability and the recent commentary around you know where they expect rates to be the reaction function is pretty simple as long as inflation is continuing to surprise to the upside doesn't show any clear signs of of you know trending lower they need to uh, use their policy tools to address it they have two policy tools basically front-end interest rates and their balance sheet and what they're going to do is just jack up rates. Yesterday, I looked at a chart of where rates were um, in 2004 and historically. And, you know, I'm one of those people that has never lived through real high interest rates ever before. But if you're one of the 60-year-old dudes on the Fed or women, sorry, uh, <laughs> um, you are going to be like, oh, that's, that's pretty normal. We had 5% interest rates in 2004, 2005. When I was a kid, mortgage rates were 10%, right? And so you're, the people making the decision about where interest rates are going are very comfortable with the idea yep. of having you know, uh, rates materially above, above zero. And rule of thumb, like historically, you're, you're, you've as a central banker, you're supposed to set your overnight inflation rate, uh, your overnight interest rate above the rate of inflation. Right. So theoretically, theoretically, you could make the case that the Fed is 400, 500 basis points behind where they need to be already. Interesting. Um, and so the market interpreted the inflation print as meaning the, the Fed needs to be more aggressive. So you started to price in about 83 basis points of a hike in the September meeting. Wow. Um, versus like 72, 73. So we're talking, in. but they don't do it at that granular level. So we're talking 75 They're or 100. They're going to go 75, but the market had to price in the probability of 100. Which is higher than it was. Is this the Absolutely. Yeah. And you also had to you had to price out the probability of 50. Right. So you can't go 50 when inflation's still surprising to the upside. Yeah. Um, and what that caused, you know, the, the market to do was just basically puke. Uh, when you have terminal rate expectations go up, um, you know, by 30 basis points, right? It's not only terminal rate expectations going up, but it's the duration at which terminal rates will stay high is also increasing. Yep. Right. So and higher for longer. Higher for longer. Um, that just is not good for, for risk assets. Um, you know, we have Michael Asher from, from our banking team. He's done plenty of models. When you adjust your, your, your whack by 400 basis points in very short order, there's a lot of projects that just don't become feasible. I mean, that's giving uh, away of, the, the surprise. We, oh, we do I, have Michael Ash from Galaxy's Investment Banking 
division. Um, we're going to talk to him in a few minutes. Uh, Sorry about to give, give it away. Case. I didn't know it was no, a surprise. Okay. Okay. Let me give me some warning. No, I just mean I haven't. I haven't uh, said it yet on the podcast. But, so. but but anybody that's that's modeled cash flows before understands that when the the risk free rate jumps up by the amount that it does, um, there it's going to cause problems. Right. These these assets are going to be worthless. And there's there's a huge slew of businesses that could operate at two three percent interest rates. When you're talking about four five percent interest rates with sort of credit component widening, there's this whole swath of, of publicly listed and private stuff that just can't operate. So and stuff's so going to start to break. Some stuff's stuff. going to start to break, um, and I think there's lots of pain in not only liquid world in the liquid world, but in the illiquid world as well. All of these private equity investments, you know, angel investments, whatever it may be, these illiquids that operate that were feasible in a zero interest rate policy world are no longer feasible and people are going to have to take huge markdowns and they're going to have to sell stuff and odds are they're going to have to sell liquid stuff so that's going to put more pressure on 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 u.s equities finally lastly i know i went on a, a rant there uh the, the last big thing is in, you know the u.s dollar right like the u.s dollars continue to appreciate pretty meaningfully um and it's super interesting because basically every central banker uh over the past two weeks has been asked about dollar strength. Mm-hmm. There were headlines about the BOJ potentially intervening in the, in the Japanese yen, you know, FX market overnight. Um, you know, England, Europe, BOE, ECB, every time they have a central banker out, they're getting asked about, you know, dollar strength and if it's part of their reaction function. The Chinese are trying to purposefully set the, the yuan fixing like lower. And so Everyone in the world is looking around being like, holy shit, the Fed's going crazy with interest rates. The dollar's going bid. I'm seeing my own currency devaluate like crazy and my own asset market go down the drain as well. And they're looking at the U.S. being like, guys, can you cool this down? Because, you know, if you think about it, you're in an EM country. Let's say oil is $90 a barrel, which it is. Um, but it's denominated in your native currency, which is depreciated by a lot, right? So it's like a double whammy when you have this inflation complex and the surge in inflation and a devaluation of, of a lot of currencies. And so people abroad are getting hurt pretty tremendously. And it's to the point where people are considering intervention in FX markets, wow. right? You, it's a crazy world right now where you're talking about back to back to back 75 basis point hikes, uh, you know, surprise hikes by by banks like the you know Swiss National Bank. I mean, it is it is you know a, a macro world like I've never seen and like many folks have never seen. Goodness gracious! Well, we're back to our sorry. No, Talk about this is bad news. And all this, this is shit is bad for crypto, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, because I, I think, forget that part. <laughs> yeah, most most uh, investors yeah, obviously consider crypto far out on the risk spectrum. Absolutely. So it's one Myself of the first included. things that gets cut. I mean, um, I, you know, I could go on, but I think there's a lot of illiquid investments in crypto. And to be honest, the fact that Bitcoin's holding above 20k and, and mm-hmm. ETH is above 1500, given this um, bearishness, even you know they both dropped about you know 10 percent or so on Tuesday. Yeah, um, it's kind of kind of solid i mean to be honest it i i I think it's an opportunity to de-risk and get your portfolio to to where you need it to be what people often misunderstand is um when the market is moving like this you're actually holding a lot more risk than you originally thought right when bitcoin is at forty thousand and forty five thousand and moves at two to three percent per day it's very different than when it's at twenty thousand and drops ten percent right in a day and moves up five right you're you, you need to adjust 
the amount of risk you're taking for, for the volatility. Yep. And a lot of people don't do that. Right. Um, and I also think that, you know, quarter end is, is a pretty huge factor. There's a lot of things that need to get marked. There's a lot of people that have to justify their performance over the past three months and justify what they're holding currently. Um, and so I think you're going to have a lot of people cleaning up stuff over the next couple of weeks. Um, and that's going to probably put a lot of pressure on on, on markets as well. Um, but generally speaking, when volatility goes up, people need to de-risk. People yep. need to sell assets. Always. And that's what's happening right now. All right, Bimnet Abibi, thank you, our friend, uh, for delivering this terrible news about the market. Uh, no, we're, we're, we're still uh, we're still going to make it. Um, but we are going to make this it. is a this is a very tumultuous time, obviously, in all markets, um, apparently in all geographies as well. Thanks for that color, Bimnet. That was awesome. Keeping it real. All right. That was uh, I'm still reeling from Bimnet's uh, uh, breakdown of how scary markets are these days. But we've got Michael Ash here from Galaxy Investment Banking. Um, he runs that business, one of Galaxy's five business units. Um, what's up, Michael? How are you doing? I'm really good. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on the podcast. The, the, the idea that my being here was a surprise is maybe the first time in history to suggest that anyone has ever been excited about a banker being anywhere. <laughs> no, banker. I mean, who, who, who do people uh, dislike more, bankers or lawyers? <laughs> How much time do we have? <laughs> well, um, let's start. I mean, we want to ask Michael a lot about what he's seeing in the market. Yeah. Um, but before we do that, Michael, tell us what an investment bank in crypto does. What do you do? Basically, what we do very simply is we work with crypto companies in one of two ways. Very simply, we help them raise capital, whether that's equity, debt, convertible, as a public company, private company, you name it. Um, and we help them execute M&A strategies. So we help companies buy companies and we help companies sell themselves and, in the most simplest form. Yep. And so um, our, I guess the big question, are they buying or selling either right now? What's, this, what's the market look like? in this bear market? It's interesting. So when the market went sideways, you know, you had a bunch of the, you know, I'll call them like the large cap crypto names come out and say that they were going to be aggressive. They were going to use this opportunity as a means of, of consolidating and kind of building out their platform and creating their moat and all of that good stuff. I think theoretically that, that sounds good. Um, what we're seeing is a bit different. Right. You, you obviously have the FTXs of the world, which is really in a category of its own. Um, but I, I think other companies, frankly, are while they want to be aggressive and while they have every intent of actually doing what they've said they're, they're going to do. It's an incredibly hard market to do that. There is lots of uncertainty, as we just heard. Right. As to like what the future holds. You know, we continue to see pretty material layoffs across the board at companies, it's really hard to lay off 10% of your workforce and then go out and spend $100 million on a, an acquisition. Right. Right. And so while there, there is certainly intent to, to do so, we're not seeing a ton of it get done. Like for me, though, when I, when I look at that, well, all that suggests is there's this very natural opportunity for non-crypto buyers to use this time as, right, as to get in. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Um, so if you're Microsoft, if you're Amazon, Apple, like, you know, I, I think you, if, and I'd like to believe that all of these companies have crypto in some capacity as part of their roadmap going forward, to me, this is an incredibly unique opportunity to actually go and do that. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the counter to all of this 
is that right now every company is for sale. Companies who you would never imagine would ever contemplate selling themselves are now asking the question, is this an opportune time to con- you know, be consolidated, be part of a larger platform? And these are not small companies. Interesting. These are very large companies. So what types of companies? I mean, it, it, in general, first of all, what, you know, if, uh, I guess, I guess for you, it would say, what does the acquirable landscape look like? Right. I mean, are, are we talking oh, it's a, trading it's every, companies like data? What, what is it? What's out there? I don't think a lot has changed over the last like year and a half. The, the companies that get the most attention are companies that are believed to be sort of the picks and shovels, right? Whether that's data, whether that's regulatory related, whether it's, you know, just like pure infra in, in some way. I mean, like those companies without question, I think, are the most in demand and most focused on. But I think generally speaking, you know, th- there is still a, a material undersupply of blockchain engineers. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it, it almost doesn't matter, you know, if you have the right talent, if you have the right teams. Right. There's, I, I think, a case to be made that really every any company is acquirable in any sector if you have the right team underlying it. If you want to build something yeah. in crypto and they yeah. have devs. Yeah, yeah exactly. Interesting. Um, and is there interest from those big companies? I mean, with not them specifically necessarily, but like. Are you seeing the X cryptos actually get interested? You talked about how good of um, yeah. an opportunity is for them. Some, yeah, some. I mean, interestingly, we're seeing a lot of it in like kind of Web three metaverse space, mm-hmm. right? That like e- even from a capital raising perspective, whether it's capital raising M and A, that's where we're seeing the most activity and the most interest. And I, I think that is is likely for two reasons. One, there is you know, frankly. Uh, less perceived volatility, right? Given there is an actual token exposure, and so your market exposure is is de minimis. You know, if you're buying for commercial reasons or acquiring for commercial reasons. Right. And two, I think people really believe, and this is what we're seeing. I think the most activity outside of crypto, it's like it's real engagement with your customers and with your users. And so there's utility in a way that they haven't been able to get out of crypto until now. Right. And so we're definitely seeing more activity there, but it's, but they're super, super conservative. Yeah. And like they're all just trying to get smart. They're trying to figure their way around the space. And so it's, it just leads to an incredibly, you know, uh, conservative, slow moving process. And you talked about how, um, you know, the two parts of your business, MA strategy, but also capital raising. Yeah. How, how does the capital? raising look right now are, are companies able to raise um either venture dollars or from where wherever else they're coming i mean what is the you know we we track the venture yeah. market as you know um but from your seat how does it look yeah i was gonna say, i mean you guys know like on the really early stage stuff that's still getting done yeah at valuations that are still high right to be polite about it um <laughs> that that hasn't slowed down uh, you know, but when you think about like the series B, series C, the growthy rounds where you're going to start talking to, you know, a more generalist type of investor who isn't kind of deep crypto or, or crypto native, like that, that has slowed down. Right. And that's where we've seen, I think a pretty material shift in valuation. Um, and even in like structure and governance, right. The, the deals that were getting done a year ago were so advantageous for the issuer that it was like, you know, pick your price, you know, pick your investor, and two weeks later you've assigned 
you mm-hmm. know, definitive. Um, in this market, it's just a, it's, it's a lot more different, and there's sort of been a, the pendulum shift back towards investors. And so structurally, you're seeing things like liquidation preferences in a way that we haven't seen them before. We've seen governance requests that we haven't seen before. What type of governance requests? Like it's board seats and more things board that, seats. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Precisely. Yeah, where they were lenient on that type of stuff. I mean, we've been talking for a long time about the founder-friendly environment that um, crypto founders were in. Yeah. Um, but it, it, I guess in a way, it's good to hear this. This is what you expect should happen. It's a healthy thing, right? Right. Um, and I think, frankly, it, it requires more accountability amongst founders and management teams to really like build p- proper businesses. Right. I mean, one thing that we're seeing a lot of focus on, which we haven't seen ever in the past two years, is treasury management. Right. If you're getting all of your revenues and tokens, like you can no longer just sit on those tokens and hope for the best. Right. Right. Like you need to have some sort of defined strategy and maybe a portion of it does, you know, ride the market. Maybe a portion is sold into USDC or whatever. Um, but the, the, it sort of leads to like uh, the, the maturation of those businesses, which is a good thing. Yeah. You, you know, the caveat to all of this is that if you're still the perceived, like, you know, market leader in whatever category that may be, you're probably still getting the terms that you want. Yeah. Right. That's good. So it's a good time to found a company still. If the, yeah. the early stage yeah. spigot is still open, um, a little bit of a tougher one to grow a company in, I yeah. guess. It makes sense. So Web3 Metaverse is big. You're not seeing like, is DeFi big? Is is crypto? I mean, because it is interesting to your yeah. point. It's less exposure to actual crypto markets. Yeah, you know, something like gaming as an industry, not specifically crypto, um, incredibly durable business, right? Yeah. In in both bull markets and bear markets, um, the video game industry generates more revenue annually than movies and music combined. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, um, it really is crazy. Now, granted, that is including like you know, like mobile games and stuff, which yeah. um, is a huge part of that industry. Yeah. Um, so it's not all like you know, PS Five and Xbox, but yeah, um, other other sectors not not as not as interesting, not as active, I should say. Well, like D- DeFi is interesting, right? Because DeFi actually performed and did what it was supposed to do over the past several months, and yet, you know, if you're an investor from the outside, it just feels more scary, right? Right. And so I think a lot of it is still around like the perceived risk as opposed to the actual risk. Um, and don't forget, like we're talking to like our, our primary investor universe is not like the early stage VC right. names. Right. Right. It's the more mature growth equity crossover investors who come at it from a, a very different perspective and from a very different starting point. And so their risk tolerance levels were always very different. Right, but it, it's it, it's really magnified in an, kind of in this market where everything is going sideways, where you have all of this uncertainty. Talking about some of the building that's going to be happening during the bear market, I feel like I always hear that narrative. Like in yeah. bear markets, some of like the most the yeah. best crypto companies get made. Yeah. I think this is not the first bear market that crypto has gone through. Um, in your view, like from what's already been built. Um, from the data companies that we've built, the yeah. infrastructure companies that are already big names, um, how far are we from actually achieving like the vision of Metaverse, Web three, of Ethereum and Bitcoin, like becoming a m- more globally adopted um, network, globally adopted yeah. tool? Like, what are what is the building that you think 
really needs to still happen in this cycle and that you hope happens in terms of those like blockchain engineering teams, like what they could focus on and what the space really needs to get to that. To, to, that's to, such a good, that's such a good question. And you know, it assumes that I'm so much smarter than I actually am. But no, <laughs> no, no, but no, you it's, are. It's, it's, it's super, it's, it's a really interesting question. I mean, look from, from where we sit, I, I think ultimately one, it's, it's, I think very simply when you look at the actual underlying tech that's been built today versus what existed during the last bear market, it's at a completely different level of maturation, right? So what, what can you build upon today that can be something wildly different and more mature going forward? So like from a trading perspective, right? Like algorithmically and in terms of like the actual underlying trading technology, what can you do today to create a more streamlined, thoughtful, cost-efficient um, process? You know, when you think about like, actually what we're seeing in the metaverse side is really, really interesting. There are some companies that are just wildly more advanced than others. Um, I, I probably can't name names, but like some of the, the tech that we've seen and we spend time with, it's just so wildly impressive that it does feel like in that one in particular, it's probably closer than not um the hang up there is 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 like how do all of these metaverses actually play together right in some ways it's like no different than the whole debate over cross chain right like how many metaverses are you going to have and how are you going to be, be able to interact amongst one metaverse to another metaverse we're going to get metaverse bridges yeah we're going to call call them portals yeah no but but i mean but yeah. seriously right right like it, you you actually want the the transposability well, and, so and that do they want to interact that's the other thing you get nervous about with something like facebook's metaverse yeah. right like you know is it going to be interoperable well there's going to be i think one of the really cool things about the metaverse is there's going to be a massive brand component Right. I mean, it's going to be inherently very commercialized in a way that I don't think people fully appreciate. And so like the competitive dynamic is going to be super interesting. Yeah. When you think about like you have company, you got like Coke and Pepsi, right? Like how the hell do they come together? And like what, what do their strategies look like? How are they competitive? Like what sort of exclusivity do they care about as it relates to building out their platforms? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but it's. It's kind of wild. I just really don't like VR. I'm throwing that out there. I know it's not a requirement of the metaverse in general. It's definitely not a requirement. It's definitely not, but I don't like it. Um, why don't you like it? Because it makes me kind of dizzy and like I'm the same disoriented. Way, the way, for like, what it's worth. I mean, you don't want to so wear how, a computer on your face. It's crazy. How would you define the metaverse, like that term, the metaverse, given that this seems to be the one of the closest yeah. things that are ready for bridging the gap between like crypto and mass adoption. Yeah. And you think that there's so much development. Yeah. How do you define this term of metaverse? Because I feel like I've argued with Alex about this all the time. And I actually think VR is a very core component. Like what Facebook put out with their yeah. rebranding of meta, a lot of that seemed like artificial reality. I think it's an immersive digital world with a personal identity. That's how I would define it personal identity in the sense of like identity on the blockchain or like identity could identity be like your twitter profile i think it could be all yeah mm -hmm. i mean i i think it's in many ways i think of it as the intersection of all things digital right and so your entire sort of digital platform coming together in a way that is i think more um more tangible and more real than it's been before in the way that we interact with the internet today mm.
Does that make any sense? Yeah. It's a very broad definition. I know. I don't think it's... That's because I'm a banker. (laughs) (laughs) This is because you're a banker. I wanted to ask you before uh, we wrap up to being a banker. Yeah. um, Mm -hmm. You were at Oppenheimer. You were at City Mm -hmm. uh, in your prior life. Yeah. What's it? What's the difference doing it uh, banking in crypto versus banking in TradFi? It is the biggest fundamental shift that you could ever imagine as a banker. Yeah. Well, you're... Keep in mind, okay, so you're a... I don't know. You're like a mid-level senior banker in a traditional investment bank. You put on a suit and tie every every day. You go to work. You're you're pitching clients who are have been doing this for forty years, right? Um, very measured, very mature. E- even in the most high growth world that you're interacting in. I mean, I, I spent a, the majority of my career prior to Galaxy focused on tech broadly, right? the most outrageous wild tech company that you're banking at like one of those firms is a, a mammoth compared to the companies that you're talking to in crypto right um i mean like my first meeting at galaxy was with the ceo is probably 25 years old 26 years old right first time ceo doesn't you know knows the tech understands the go to market doesn't fully appreciate how to build a business don't doesn't really under you know understand how to manage the business like we talk about treasury management like business management truly (laughs) right uh it's a lot more fun yeah truly and we look we have we have like 20 i I don't mean to call them kids they're not kids but like we have 25 26 year old bankers who are going out and originating deals when you're at citigroup you can't go near that Mm. until you're a senior banker and the reason is because because they're peers with the person sitting across the table or like, you know, on Zoom with them. Right. Right. And so like our group looks a lot different than you would imagine it looking at, at a traditional investment bank. I'm the, I'm the obvious, I'm the obvious like outcast amongst them, <laughs> you know, um, which is, which is fun too. Yeah, it is fun. That's um, awesome. Yeah. We, I mean, this industry is super exciting, so it doesn't surprise that the deals would be more fun too. Well, um, they're more fun and they're also, they're, I mean, they're also terrible. <laughs> Right. I mean, you and here we go. You know, you're really excited. You get signed up to work with with a company, great company, great product. Okay, you, you sign the letter. We're now married to do something together, and then you realize they have nothing. Right. There's no infrastructure. There's no model. They haven't really thought about the you know the the next version of the go to market. Right. And so the job because of that is you know I I, I say terrible, but it's more interesting. Because well, that's what I mean. It's a it's your your actual the your, advisory your, part is. It is, it is, you know, a lot more consulting like than hmm. you've, you've really experienced like in TradFi, right? Because it's, it's really thinking through like, well, you could do this, you could do that, you could do this. Um, and like, what does it actually mean from a dollars and cents perspective? Right. And so like our job in many ways, when I, when I first started in banking, however many years ago, someone I worked with, I think very smartly said that bankers are effectively doctors for companies. Right, and that's how that's how he, this this guy explained it to his his mom, right? Because truly, no one knows what the hell we do, um, and so like I just think that w- we have to be better doctors, right? Because the companies that we're working with are just not as mature; they don't really understand not not all, but many don't don't understand what it is to be a mature company, and when you look at the speed at which the industry has grown. You could have a company that started 12 months ago and all of a sudden is doing $50 million of revenue. 
And like, by the way, like you, like it's not enough time to mature as a CEO or as a management team. It's not their fault. There hasn't been enough time to figure out what it means to now operate a business of this scale. Right. And our job is to try to help them and train them. And oftentimes to that point with crypto companies, when you reach a certain level of maturity, decentralizing the core operations of that company become part of the vision, which is not a natural thing, I feel like, for other companies. If I think of some of the biggest names like Lido and MakerDAO in Ethereum, they are companies, but their vision, once they reached like the peak of their success, was I want to now move away from being a company after I've reached success. And that's such a foreign concept, I think, to most people. Well, we talk a lot about um, like what's the what's the crypto like how do we think about the evolution of the ipo right like what is an ipo for like a traditional company and what does that mean in crypto and to your point right like the obvious answer is dow right and so does that mean that all of these companies that are now worth two three five however many billions of dollars in the next two years like if they follow that ethos of how they started you would think there are at least a fair number of them who ultimately conclude that like the 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 true manifestation of that next step, whatever that is, is probably a DAO, and and like actually moving away from any sort of centralization um, in a way that we haven't really dealt with before. That's so concerning to me because DAOs are not decentralized and they're yeah. not autonomous. But it's, but it's, but it's, it's perception, right? It's and, perception. Yeah, though. exactly. And Even it, though they don't work, I mean, they it's can this be perception. They, 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 Hey, you sound a little bit like me here, Christine. They can work. Um, we, the vast majority, unfortunately, today are neither decentralized, autonomous, nor actually even organizations. Um, but but there there right. are really smart people right now trying to figure out what that means. Right. Right. And like, right. what does it actually look like? Is there a way to do so in a truly decentralized manner? Right. And is this a viable end game for crypto companies? I think it remains to be seen. Well, it's it's really hard, right? Because ultimately, an IPO is a monetization event. Like, let's call a spade a spade. That's fundamentally what it is. If someone invested some money early on, now this company grew really big, and that little check you wrote is worth a lot more money, and how are you going to monetize it? Well, now you have a public currency to do so, right? The the, the same is theoretically true for a DAO, but it's it's just, I don't think we have, I don't think we have the, the blueprint yet for how to get there. However, I will say for what it's worth that there are companies who are actively thinking about doing so. Fascinating. I think we'll leave it there. That's that's a real nugget to chew on. I don't know if we'll see like a, I, I know I remember some people were critical of Coinbase for, you know, not yeah. issuing a token um, for their tokenizing their equity uh, and instead going down the traditional IPO path. Um, there are companies looking at that as well. Yeah. Um, well, maybe we'll see it. I, do you think we'll see one? When, when, when you, are we going to see you, one, a DAO look, or a tokenized yesterday, equity? Yesterday, Securitize announced that they're they're tokenizing a portion of KKR's healthcare fund. I saw that. Right? Um, it's actually a very big deal, uh, truly. If you think about you know the asset management business on one hand, and you think about tokenization on the other, right? From an asset management perspective, just like to hit it real quick, if you look at you know Carlyle, KKR, Blackstone, they've raised massive, massive amounts of investor capital, right? At a, at a rate that you, you is frankly so high it can't continue unless you're able to tap into a new segment of investors that haven't historically been able to participate in those types of fundraises, 
right? That all changes with tokenization, right? You can actually take smaller checks. And so it's actually a means for all of those massive asset managers and, and frankly, other asset managers to, to broaden you know, their capital pool in a way that they've historically not been able to do. On the other side, to your point, I do think it, it puts you know, more focus back on this idea of tokenizing equities because it's the, fundamentally the same tech, right? The, the issue across both is, is their actual liquidity because there's no value, there, there's no fundamental difference in owning a token if you can't sell it. Right. And there's no liquid market in it. And so we've had this technology for a long time. This and is you, like what all the real estate tokenization yeah, platforms totally. claim. They were like, oh, it's going to make it much easier to do. And then it was like, well, I mean, real estate's super liquid and there's no, there, there weren't, right? There were more issuance platforms than issuances. Yeah. And the issuances, they, they weren't distributed. I mean, I, I wasn't a part of them, so I'm, this is all hearsay, but you know, they were, they were sold to friends and family right. for the most part. Yeah. Most right? of them were sort of like, you know, kind of fake in that sense. Right. And so like we, we haven't really had a good use or example of, of tokenization working in that way. Right. But you know, you look at some of these large platforms, like you look at what FTX is doing, right? Like Sam is building that business to in part, make sure that he's also selling tokenized equities, right? You look at a company like eToro in Europe where a massive percentage of their business is crypto. Right. And so th there are all of a sudden some very significant, you know, of scale players who could logically be, you know, a, a facilitator. A bridge. Of, yeah. Even like Robin Hood, frankly. Totally. It's going to be really interesting. We're going to keep watching it. Michael, thank you for joining us. It was great to have you. Thanks, guys. Um, and I guess that's all we have this week on Galaxy Brains. Um, if you're listening to this on Friday, um, Ethereum should no longer be mining proof of work, um, assuming it goes well, and we think it will. So congratulations to the Ethereum community on this milestone, um, and don't make me a liar. Make sure it works, because if, if I listen to this podcast on Friday and it, the merge hasn't <laughs> happened, I will be very upset. Um, Happy merge, everyone. Yes. Um, have a great weekend. This was Galaxy Brands. Thanks for listening to Galaxy Brains, a weekly podcast from Galaxy Digital Research. If you enjoyed the show, please like, rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to learn more about the work we do at Galaxy Research, sign up for our weekly newsletter at gdr.email. Read our content online at galaxy.com research and follow us on Twitter at glxyresearch. That's all for today. See you next time.